And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson. Hey everybody, it's Civilized Barking, Zach Jackson here. Happy holidays, happy holidays. No, listen, I'm not going to sing, I don't want to run you off. I appreciate you guys listening, reading tweeting well most of you anyway um the browns are seven and seven and they're headed to green bay for christmas and COVID is still a major issue and the offense is averaging under 14 points a game since week 10 and yeah it's just kind of how it's gone anyway um the browns are alive and even if they lose saturday they're alive that's explained in my this week in browns column in more detail i would just say this um Assuming the Browns lose on Saturday, and hey, maybe I'm wrong. Stranger things have happened. This is the National Football League. Um, You'd want to root for the Chiefs, and you'd want to root more specifically for the Bengals over the Ravens um, in that game, and then we'll see how it goes. Um, The Browns' hopes in that case would be to get to 9-8 and and win the tiebreakers. We'll see. You know, as for the Green Bay game, um, as I record this on Thursday afternoon slash evening, 16 players remain. On the COVID list, um, a lot of them are expected to come off, and I believe half of them are eligible to come off in the next couple of days. Basically, the team is going to go to Green Bay on Friday evening. There's going to be a contingency plan with another plane to get guys there. That includes the starting quarterback, um, Baker Mayfield, with a 10-day window in case they need. So the only practice might be a Saturday morning walkthrough. They don't know exactly for sure, but Landry, McDowell, uh, Hooper's already back. Um, we'll see. Clowney's not in the 10-day test out. But anyway, um, you know, we know Miles Garrett is is hurt. He says he's going to play. We don't know on Clowney. And we heard Kevin Stefanski say that he is um, ready to play Baker as long as Baker's healthy and cleared and all that, and that looks like the indication. So um, won't be a blizzard on Christmas. Uh, I would still ex- expect a Nick Chubb heavy game plan. John Johnson will be out. Um, man, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are good. And then the Browns are beat up at pass rusher specifically. So we will see how that goes. You got to win the turnovers. You got to make your kicks. Um, got to control the ball. We'll see how, how all of that goes. We know the offense has been bad. The defense has really, really been impressive um, for much of the back half of the year. A lot of those efforts have been wasted and, you know, the other night was just so bizarre and, and so bad with 18 guys, 18 active roster players out. But really you saw, not that I'm telling you anything you don't know, you saw the offense, the defense, and the special teams all blow opportunities. And frankly, when you're down guys and you're not scoring, um, you, you don't have that margin for error. So the perfect game is not really attainable, but to go win in Green Bay, it needs to be. So anyway, I say this all the time because I mean it. I appreciate you guys who listen, who follow, who ask questions when we ask for content, who ask questions because you're passionate, um, who subscribe and, and want to be on board. Thank you. Uh, we have a lot of fun doing this, even when the seasons get weird and long and disappointing and, and all of that stuff. Um, 
Earlier this week, I went on the Athletic uh, Football Podcast with my friends Robert Mays and Lindsey Jones, my co-workers too. Um, and I did, gosh, I think 25 minutes talking Browns uh, present and future. I almost said past, but not really. So given the holiday and the logistics of everything, I'm, I'm headed to Green Bay and not really going to be here for the holidays and Browns availability has been on Zoom. Anyway, we're just going to, um, for Civilized Barking, we're going to play that. So um, Robert is a football nerd. I mean that in the highest compliment. He knows what he's talking about. Um, he knows the advanced stats and he knows the analytics game, but he knows the game inside and out. He knows a lot of people in the game too, and I would encourage you to listen closely to some of the things he says. Um, cause there's some there's some clues there, but anyway, we taped this on on Wednesday night. That's what we're gonna do here for for civilized barking this week. So we won't have a post game podcast with me and Jason because it's Christmas. At least not immediate. There will be one. We'll catch you up. And then, like I said, win or lose, um, the Browns are gonna be alive for the division going to the last two games of the year. In a lot of ways, what more could you ask for? Well. If you'd have won last week, you'd have controlled your own destiny. So, anyway, thank you. Enjoy some time. Enjoy the game on Saturday. And enjoy this interview that I did with Robert Mays and Lindsey Jones. All right. It's time now for this week's team visit with our Browns writer, Zach Jackson. Zach, how you doing, man? Thank you for doing this. Good. So, when you saw you in August, you were like, we're going to have you on right before the playoffs because the Browns were supposed to be there. <laughs> so, um, no, anyway, it's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Um, it's been a wild season. It's been the last week has been a wild year, right? And um, the Browns are not dead. So, we'll see what happens these next few weeks. Let's dig into some of that in a second. I want to start with whatever relevant COVID information is happening right now, because I feel like that's where we have to start every conversation at this stage of the season, which no one is happy about. But with this team especially, it has been an eventful week. So where are we with who's in, who's out? How healthy will they be for the home stretch? How healthy will they be for Saturday's game? They're playing on Christmas, so most of you you will be watching the Browns this week. Just kind of lay all that out for me. Okay, so 72 hours from kickoff is, is basically when we're having this conversation. And only 48 hours removed from the game where they had 18 active roster players. Uh, on the COVID list. So um, if you use 10 days, Robert, as the as the threshold or the guiding point, all but three of them will be eligible to play by Saturday. Uh, the issue would be Baker Mayfield is in the group that maybe day 10 wouldn't be till Saturday morning. So he would be flying in on his own or with two or four teammates um, having had no practice. Now they only have one practice this week anyway, but they're looking at a situation where Clowney is still on COVID uh, the left tackle, Jedrick Wills, is still on COVID. Um, Jarvis Landry is still on COVID. They think he'll be off. Miles um, Garrett is hurt. Kareem Hunt is hurt. Troy Hill is hurt. So the answer right now is they're probably going to be shorthanded and maybe significantly so, but they don't expect it to be anywhere near uh, the 18 guys, and they do at least hold out optimism that either Keenum or Baker, probably Baker, will will be eligible to play. It just then comes down to, you know, how ready and, and what kind of plan have they been able to put together um, to get guys to play a national TV game uh, on Christmas Day. So why why has Baker been out so long? What are the considerations there? So with in, all in the ten, new protocols? 10 days is when you generally can test off unless you're asymptomatic, right? Okay. So, so he went on last Wednesday, so that would put this coming Saturday as as the 10 days. So, so he is symptomatic. That's the problem. 
yeah, that's why he hasn't tested out until now. So gotcha. they got Austin Hooper back. Um, they got John Johnson back for the game, and then he got hurt. It's just been one thing after another. And, and you know. <laughs> oh, boy, has it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so this is a team that wanted to run the ball and rely on its offensive line and let the defense loose. And they had lost the, the run game and really all offensive mojo about the time the defense got hot. And then Clowney went down. And if, you know, Miles Garrett has said he's going to play. But he, he's got a what we believe to be a pretty significant groin injury. Um, the linebackers have been in and out of the lineup, and they played last game without five of their top seven defensive backs. All right, before we get into a lot of the uh, – there's a lot of X's and O's stuff going on here, I think, and a lot of, you know, kind of we can, we can hone in on a lot of things. I'd love for you to kind of take us inside. Like, what does it feel like in Cleveland right now with the expectations for this team? And look, it's – Christmas week and the Browns are relevant. They are in this playoff hunt. I think a lot of us maybe had maybe higher expectations. How would you kind of assess kind of where the Browns are at right now and how they're feeling and maybe the fan base is feeling about where they're at at this point in the season? Yeah, Lindsay, three days ago, even I would have said angst more than anything else. I think it's frustration because they are alive in the playoff race, but they need so much help now. And some of that's an assumption that they're not going to beat the Packers, but I think everybody assumes they're going to beat the Packers. And let's be clear, outside of Ward, Clowney, and Garrett, this team has done nothing to resemble a playoff team. They just haven't. So to the fan base, this is the second time in three years that the Browns have had lofty expectations and completely flopped. So go back to 2019. That was the Freddie Kitchens year. That was a completely different regime, right? That's not the same. But last year's team just seemed to handle everything so well, the COVID stuff, just the strange circumstances. They showed up, they were disciplined, they they were prepared, and the offense in the second half of the year got hot, and it was good enough to carry them to the second round of the playoffs, really for the first time since most of the players were born. This year, in the second half of the season, the offense has totally flatlined. Uh, the inconsistencies have been across the board, and they've included injuries, COVID, quarterback, you know, other guys that this team was counting on, the Odell Beckham quitting the team saga in the middle of the year, right? And you're left with a team that's really gotten hot defensively, um, but has lost even those guys that have led the charge. And they've scored 14 total points, two touchdowns in the fourth quarter in the last nine games. So they've lost close games. They've lost COVID games. Uh, they got, they've only been flattened once, but they just, even when they've won, like they haven't impressed. So the overall feeling is frustration and that this season is a total flop. So it's going to be on these guys, Barry and Stefanski specifically, who were the darlings of the city and the the saviors, the resurrection had finally happened. You know, they have difficult decisions lie ahead and and they're eventually going to have to parse through what just went a little bit wrong. What is, you know, goes wrong in the course of football season and where maybe are we flawed in the building? And then, of course, the big thing is Baker plays next year on the fifth-year option. He's been bad. He's been hurt. And what are you going to do at that at that position? Oh, we'll get there. Oh, we will get there. <laughs> before before we do, let's talk about kind of that disappointment a little bit. What's been the most disappointing part of this beyond just the outcomes? Because I think you could take that a bunch of different directions, right? Baker's lack of ascension the not being able to kind of fit Odell into what they're doing, whatever reported discord there's been with the quarterback and the way that the offense looks, the fact that the drop back passing game looks a little bit broken. They don't have as many answers there. Some of the lack of defensive development. I think you can go a bunch of different directions on where this has fallen the most flat. And I'm wondering what you would say. 
I would just point to 21st in scoring. They This offense brought everybody back. This offense had different dimensions and, and a little bit of depth and really um, proven players, you know, and now it's like they, they can't do anything. So that to me is is the biggest frustration. It's the, it's the most puzzling thing. You know, last year, once the coach and the quarterback got comfortable with each other and the, the flow of things, they really got aggressive with the pass game and that opened everything else up. This year, the bread and butter is still running. You know, the running backs have been in and out of the lineup. Jack Conklin's been mostly out of the lineup. But there's been nothing but short passes, and and they have failed, really, in so many third downs and in so many fourth quarters. They just – every time they've needed a pl- big play, they they haven't done it. And that has manifested itself at the end of halves, the end of games, you know, chances to put teams away, um, chances to rally and win. You know, they had a 45-point fourth quarter, them and the Chargers combined, way back in week five. And they lost the game, but it was like, man, these are two really good teams – you know, really talented, young, rising teams. And and since then is the stat that I mentioned, two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. They just – the offense has not had it in, in any kind of way. And that has – it's dampened the defensive efforts. It's magnified the struggles of the special teams, of the, all the guys in and off the various injured lists. And it's why they're 500 um, with what we thought was, was a, you know, top five, top eight roster in this league. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. You said coming in, you said that the last year, the quarterback and the head coach getting on the same page and getting comfortable with each other was a huge part of this. Where do you think they sit? Their relationship, the way that they, the way that Stefanski sees Baker. My understanding, and just outside in reading this situation, was always the company line there was good enough to win with. Baker is good enough for us to win with. I'm wondering where you think it sits now and kind of how they're looking at each other, both sides. Well, you know, I'm speaking for both of them, and that's difficult because Stefanski doesn't ever give us an honest answer on the question. (laughs) And Baker, after one game, chose not to speak at all. But, Robert, I think when you watch, I think the play calling and the head coach's demeanor tells you that he's telling someone that the quarterback's not good enough. I I, I just think that 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 has happened. And anybody who's been hard on Baker, and I'm at the front of that line, can point to the receivers can't get open. The line hasn't been the overall operation has not been what it's been, right? I think they've only played four or five games where Hunt and Chubb have both been completely healthy and they've scored on the line, right? Yeah. I mean, the the line has been so dinged up and even like watching Wills when he's been in the game, he doesn't look like the same guy. It just, and right, this happens. 
Injuries along the offensive line, they were healthy last year. It was a huge part of why they sustained success is because of the health they had, in particular that area. And all of that kind of stuff changes from year to year. You can't rely on health. But when you're looking at it, there are just so many different ingredients in whatever this end result of offensive disappointment is. Um, you know, last year when they really needed to make a throw, Jarvis Landry got open, he caught the ball, and then he made at least the first guy miss. You know, he got hurt in week two, came back, got hurt again, has not been the same player. Uh, Peoples-Jones has shown a couple of flashes of, of being a really gifted young receiver. He has not been consistent. The tight ends, I mean, Austin Hooper blocks his butt off and is a big target, and he runs four yards and falls down. Like they, those, they want, Stefanski wants to run a three tight end offense and there is no pop there. Najoku has some pop, but you never know if he's going to catch it. So yeah, like you said last year, the blocking, the running, the misdirection, everything just resulted in this groove that they hit and they could attack you in different ways and keep you guessing. And this year it's like, they're the ones guessing, like, what should we even do? You know, he wants to be a fourth down, go for it team. I think of the eight first downs early in the season or fourth downs they tried to convert early in the season, they got sacked on six of them, right? So that's not all on one person. That's There's a fundamental flaw there. I, I just think it's clear that he there's not full trust in the quarterback and there's nowhere near whatever that was, whatever, you know, shifting gears, pressing a button, whatever cliche you want to use, they can't find that button um, and, and haven't really since early October and now it's Christmas. Before we get into too many of the off-season considerations, and Baker Mayfield is going to be a huge part of that, I want to get into kind of what's at stake right now, because the Browns are very much still alive. Somehow, they're still alive. They're at 7-7, seven and seven, and had they won that game against the Raiders on Monday night, they would have been in first place in the division, but by the way, because of the way the NFC, or AFC North, excuse me, is falling this year, they're now in last place. So can you take us through as well as you can, because it is very complicated. What's at stake right now for the Browns this week against the Packers? And then what is their path to potentially climbing their way back into the playoffs? Yeah, so, you know, it's down to 30% or so, but it's realistic because of of the rest of the division. And it's probably down to like 6% that they would get a wild card. So, Lindsay, they need to win the division, which means they need to, to, to stack some wins. And then they finish at Pittsburgh on a Monday night, a game they absolutely can win. And at home against the Bengals, where, you know, the Bengals are, are obviously good. They're young. And, and Baker has owned them throughout his short career. So, you know, what else is at stake? Well, you know, Baker playing a national TV game that they really need to win this week coming off this. Like, is he really the ultimate overcomer? Does this offense have an A effort in it? Because it, it hasn't shown it. You know, does Jarvis get back and, and do they click? We know Kareem Hunt's not going to be there this week, and that is a big loss because he does so much. But I think in the second half against the Raiders, I think you saw Nick Chubb um, running, you know, the way he's capable of. He is a super rare back. Uh, the offensive line, they had to shift guys around, but I think they finally got some push and, and they got some flow to things. And, and then, you know, defensively, we don't know who's going to be there because Clowney's on COVID, Tack McKinley's out for the year, and, and Miles is hurt. But obviously when you go to Lambeau, there's there's a lot to stop there. So it's it, it's it, in the division, they don't necessarily need to win this game if the Steelers lose to the Chiefs, if the Ravens, um, if the Bengals beat the Ravens this week and the Ravens, they've left it to the ifs, I guess is what I'm saying. For them, though, I, I really mean it like, since probably the beginning of November, each week they've alternated third and fourth place in the division, depending on the other results. 
And just for much of the year, they've played fourth place football. Like they just have continually not put even two and a half or three good quarters together. And every time they've kind of had a breakthrough, whether it was one game and carrying that momentum or one really good push and, and time to slam the door on somebody, they just have failed. And it, it's it's been maddening. It's a completely different looking team um, just in, in their operation and the way they execute in quarters three and four than they were last season. I wanted to talk to you about the defense because, you know, you mentioned McKinley, Clowney, Garrett. It seemed like at the beginning of the year that this pass rush was going to be terrifying. You know, they were leading the league in a lot of certain pass rush metrics. I think they both McKinley, excuse me, both Garrett and Clowney were in the top seven in pressures like five or six weeks into the season. You know, their defense had some really promising moments. I remember breaking down the game that they had against the Vikings and be like, man, this group really feels like they could click by the end of the year. A lot of new pieces. You'd assume they would grow over time. I know injuries have been a part of it, but where is the defense kind of fallen short? And where do you think the tweaks need to happen on that side of the ball before we even get to the Baker question this offseason and moving forward for them to hit their ceiling? Yeah, that, that's a really interesting and complicated one, Robert, because early to middle of the year, there were a ton of communication breakdowns at the back. And it was like, Okay, they're new, but man, when it was happening in week eight, nine, ten, that was bad. They seem to have cleaned that up. They had a couple the other night late against the Raiders. Well, they had practice squad safeties in, so of course they had it then. Um, there have been games, specifically the two Ravens games, where Clowney and Garrett have both shown up with their A game, and and it's just dominant, right? They just they shut things down and force things. Uh, Miles or Denzel Ward, excuse me, he had late October, early November. A little flare-up of some back issues and hamstring issues. Since he's come back, he has absolutely been at the top of his game. So um, I think the defense has done well enough to make anyone believe that there's not going to be a coordinator change, that the core guys are here. And obviously it's complicated. Clowney's going to be 29 and he's going to want $12 million. But I think the defense has taken the kind of jump that the offense took last year where it was like, okay, we're almost at Thanksgiving. It's time to – put the crap aside and put out a good product. And they have mostly done that. And you mentioned really dominant product back in Minnesota, both games in Baltimore, um, you know, a couple of other times. Uh, it's just offensively, they haven't. And, and really the other nights kind of summed it up. They didn't have their guys, but each side of the ball, including the special teams, the kickers missed five of his last seven, had one, um, you know, kind of untimely breakdown. And that was enough because they just don't score enough to give themselves any margin for error. It feels like next year could be a huge jump for them. You know, we've seen this happen with defenses in the past, right? Where you have this massive turnover of personnel and you do make some incremental gains. I think they're 15th in defensive DVOA after being in the bottom third of the league last year. They've been hurt. But you think about it next year, obviously the clowny question is an important one. But having JOK in his second season having Miles be what he is. You still have most of the secondary coming back intact. It's kind of what it feels like to me. Maybe I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, but I think if you're trying to build this, this Browns team feels like the perfect example of this. And obviously the Baker question is a whole different thing, but we have this trajectory of teams where you have a jump in one year that maybe is a little bit of a mirage. It, there's certain luck elements to it, certain health elements to it, and it comes with these huge outside expectations, and you're a little bit disappointed. And then in year three, it almost has a bump back to where you expected them to be in year two. And on defense, that's kind of what it feels like with this team. You know, time will tell if you're right, but the, the case you lay out, I can't argue with. And I'm the dummy for not mentioning JOK earlier because I think he kind of was feeling his way early in the season. And then he had an ankle, missed three or four games, 
but he is just so fast. And he dropped to 52 in the draft because he wasn't for everybody, but he was for this defense because of his range, right? They envisioned Garrett and Clowney just wrecking and demanding so much attention up front that a guy could come running behind and clean up plays or close plays, and that's what JOK has done. You know, Grant Delpit's a second-year player who's really a rookie. He's only had one game where he's played full-time. You see it there. Uh, the rookie corner, Greg Newsom, he's been out now. He looks really good. Greedy Williams has come in. You know, people wondered about him. He, the last month, has really played well. And you need three corners in this league. Hell, you need five corners in this league. So I agree. And, and I think, you know, going back to the Chiefs game week one, the Chargers game week five, it was like, okay, the Browns aren't there yet, but they're really good. And these are the types of games they're going to have to play. 31-28, 45-42. And eventually they'll figure it out. Eventually they'll close late. Eventually a bounce or a kick will go their way. Well, it's totally shifted. If the other team gets 20, the Browns aren't winning. So the, the defense has been good, and it has to be great, you know, until slash unless this offense can figure something out. I've got one more defensive question here, and this is somewhat selfish of me because um, I have a vote for Defensive Player of the Year this year, and it is a very weird year for this. So what is the case for Miles Garrett as somebody who has watched every single snap that he has played this year and over the course of his career? So what, you know, what would be the case for Garrett beyond just his sack numbers? Yeah, Lindsay, I think he wants to win it. And had you asked me this question (laughs) four to six weeks ago, I would say he's simply the most gifted guy and he's playing at the highest level. Like, you've seen him put more together this year. You've seen a more confident player in the way he carries himself, and you've seen a more dominant player in some of those big spots, right? When the Browns really needed a stop before the half or when it was third and eight late in the third quarter and they could shift the momentum, he's done that. Um, He gets doubled. It doesn't bother him, right? Quarterbacks run away from him. You know, not a bootleg, a sprint out, and, and he gets back there and he closes down. So I think you've just seen... A, a more confident, stronger, and smarter player who has oodles of talent, and you've seen those moments. So, you know, since then, T.J. Watt has come on and taken the sack lead playing in fewer games. Um, when I get to watch the Rams, I see Aaron Donald, and I say, oh, my gosh, he still might be the best defensive player on the planet. But the case for Miles Garrett is that he has kind of harnessed this talent into um, – you know, a matchup proof, a week proof. It, it obviously doesn't have three sacks every week like he had back in, in week three. But in every single week, he impacts the game in multiple ways. And, you know, he'd done it before, but it was every other week or it was the occasional third down. And I think if you ask those who have played him consistently, um, you know, he has he has taken it to another notch with the consistency and just with the overall uh, impact that he's made this year. You know, I'm talking about stuff that shows up and stuff that doesn't. This could be one of those showcase type nights for him on Christmas night against the Packers. Obviously not an ideal situation that he's going to be playing through injury, but, um, you know, he could have one of those. Yeah, he could. Um, you know, obviously two years ago, he took himself out of the last six weeks of the thing. And he, he was going to be 18 or 20 sacks then, uh, before the incident happened last year, he got COVID and he came back and he was not the same player. So uh, this year, I think he's slowed down a bit. Um, in, in terms of just, just how teams have blocked him and he hasn't had a huge game in a few weeks. But I think in both Ravens games and they had the scheduling quirk where they played back-to-back at the end of November and early in December, uh, he and Clowney both just completely collapsed the pocket um, consistently in both of those games. So can he do it? Sure. Um, 
He said immediately after the game Monday, he said, they're going to have to kill me. They're going to have to cut off my leg or I'll be there Saturday because I think he thinks the same way as you. He's come out of his shell to us a little bit, Lindsay, and he will never come out and say, I want to win defensive player of the year. But just in every, just in kind of the little things and the way he's put himself out there, I guess he wants to do it. I just don't know right now, you know, three days, two days from kickoff where he is health wise. But um, I absolutely agree with your thinking that this could be because the Browns need this game and Saturday afternoon, everybody's going to be watching. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on direct TV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on direct TV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Direct TV has the most MLB games. Visit directtv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So let's have an off-season conversation, which is not at all a snake pit that I'm terrified to jump into. All right. If you look at this right now, it's kind of amazing. The Browns, as it currently stands, with a lot of the cap considerations and not making any moves, According to Over the Cap, we'll have about $39 million in cap space next year, which is a lot more than you would think, considering how we talked about this roster coming into the season. If you look at the guys potentially hitting free agency, they're not the guys you would really care about. (laughs) They're not the guys you'd be worried about. (laughs) David Njoku is a potential free agent, and a lot of the guys they had on one-year deals, right? The Tech McKinley's of the world, Malik Jackson, guys of that nature. With a couple moves... You would save $15 million moving on from Jarvis Landry and $6.5 million moving on from Case Keenum. You're looking at $60 million in cap space. The areas of the roster that we expected to be intact are the offensive line and the secondary. Those are places where they've made a lot of investments. Those are places they can build around moving forward. Other than that, and running back, obviously. Other than that, this team is kind of a blank slate in a lot of ways. There are a lot of different pivot points that they could go down. So just beyond the real estate and the financial resources they have to kind of play with in terms of reshaping the roster, you have the Baker Mayfield question. And also, some of that cap space would allow them to potentially chase a very expensive quarterback. So let's just take a step back and think about if you're Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, you get knocked out of the playoffs, you don't or you do not make the playoffs. It's February 15th. 
What is the biggest existential question that you have to ask yourself heading into this offseason? Is our quarterback anywhere close as good enough as the guys that we're chasing down? And that, that that's that's to me what it is, Robert. Um, one thing on the roster, not necessarily a, a correction, but one thing that that could add to that. I'm not sure J.C. Treader's back, and that's nine or ten million more if sure. they need it. Right? He's 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 in his 30s now. He's injured all the time. Um, they would like that. I think that sums up everything. I think if when we had this conversation three months ago, you'd have said after the season, okay, the Browns are going to go draft a center. They're going to add a couple of young pass rushers, and they're going to be off and racing. Now they have a quarterback question. Now they have a bottom five receiving core in the league with a huge Jarvis Landry question looming with the Donovan Peoples-Jones question looming. He's under contract, but he hasn't really taken that leap. Odell's been a non-factor. They drafted Schwartz last year. He looks like he can't play a lick, right? So, um, yeah, at quarterback, to me, it's not about – and, again, I, I'm speaking for them here, and, and I don't know this, but I think they know that Baker's not good enough. I think it's – what is our option? Are we willing to go venture out into the wilderness for a year or two if we have to? Because we're not going to have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and Miles Garrett for too long. And we're not going to sign Jadavian Clowney at age 29 to 12 more million dollars if we don't think we can win the Super Bowl. We think we can win the Super Bowl. They've invested in the O-line, right? The secondary is really good. But the receiving core needs completely remade. And that quarterback question lingers. And so I, I think when you frame it like that, when – when the smoke finally clears in whatever week of January that it does, and they sit down and say, okay, how, how do we close this gap? How do we do this? It has to start with the quarterback, and it has to really probably start with plugging your nose and looking at some of these options. Because I, I don't know, you know, probably not is Aaron Rodgers going to become available. Probably not is a great quarterback going to fall into your lap in, in any direction. But I, I, I just don't see a path – to where they're making a commitment to Baker Mayfield or more importantly, you know, more urgently, I guess, to where they think they can really be a 12 win AFC championship team with Baker Mayfield. All right. Let's talk about some of the potential options here. Okay. Kirk Cousins. Is he a better option in 2021 or excuse me, in 2022 when his base salary is $35 million, by the way, than <laughs> Baker Mayfield? Um, again, four months ago, I'd have told you absolutely no. Now I'm willing to listen. <laughs> um, that seems and- <laughs> like the aisle we're shopping in here, though, right? Is the Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr. Derek Carr. Derek like, Carr is the one for me. Yes. I think so, too. That's what I said. I said that a month and a half ago when we were talking to Mitch on the on the mailbag. That, to me, is the one that I would kick the tires on the hardest because I feel like it's a direct upgrade. Financially, you can make it happen, and there is a world where you could spin the Raiders not wanting him as part of whatever rebuild they want to engage with. I think that Matthew Stafford is probably more talented than Derek Carr, but if I was trying to pick a Matthew Stafford-type figure that would be available in the same way this offseason, Derek Carr would be the name I would land on. It doesn't seem like he fits what's the fancy he wants to do, right? Um, doesn't – you know – I I agree. And so it comes down to what the Raiders want to do with him, obviously, in, in the year before um, his contract is up. But, yeah, that's the one to me. That's that's way better than Matt Ryan, right? What about Garoppolo? Uh, I, just, I don't, don't – yeah, or Garoppolo. You know, I don't know what kind of upgrade those guys are. I know there's no history of um, going back to 2011 of a quarterback playing on his fifth-year option without a new deal and lasting with that team. So, you know, I think that, that kind of tells you something. So um, – we have seen really good Baker here in Cleveland. We have seen really bad Baker here in Cleveland. To me, what's in the middle is not close to good enough, so you have to go shopping. What you're going to find in these shopping aisles, 
I don't know. Um, if it's car, I say do it. If it's those other options that we just quickly went through, <laughs> I, I understand the angst. Is there anything that can happen in these next three weeks that would change your mind on that or your view on Baker? Um, Lindsay, the, the answer, the easy answer is absolutely yes, but there's also nothing I've seen so far that makes me think that that change is coming. Right. And someone else asked me that yesterday, not someone as intelligent as you. Um, and it kind of caught me off guard. So I was a little bit more prepared here, but I, I just, yes, the Browns could still win. The Browns could get hot here and, and he could direct them. Um, I just, I don't feel like that everyone has been on the same page. I think that's borne out in the results and in what we see on Sundays or Mondays or Tuesdays or whenever the hell they play these games, right? And I just look at the state of the offense, and I don't think that if they're down 10 with 10 minutes on Saturday evening, that there's any chance they come back. And I just don't think if they have to score 24 or 27 in one of those last two games in the cold on national TV to win and win the division or sneak in, however these things play out I just don't see it happening so maybe I'm wrong and and I do think that no final decision has been made anywhere because I think internally you have to be focused on what's still ahead right and that's these last three games but certainly nothing we've seen this season has indicated um that that that's going to happen I just can't I'm so intrigued by the setup when a new staff comes in and it's an arranged marriage with a quarterback they did not choose and what the dynamics of that look like over time. Just think about how we've watched it play out in all of these different places over the last several years. Like Goff and McVay and how it looked like it was rolling so well. It's like, oh yeah, we absolutely can win with him. Like this is worth investing in. And then it just devolves so fast. And then you have this kind of honeymoon last year at the end of the season. We're like, oh, look at this. This absolutely could work. And then now here we are. And I always felt like that was kind of the the creeping dread that they might've had organizationally is looking at what happened with golf and seeing how that all turned out and how it all kind of disintegrated and wondering and hoping that that wasn't going to happen. And it kind of has the same feel to me. Uh, it, it has a very similar feel. And I think if, you know, when it got brought up back in the summer, right, when we were talking a lot of contract stuff and it was like, well, they don't want to have happened to him what happened with Wentz and what happened with Goff. Well, at the time, you looked at last year and you said Baker's way better than those guys. Well, now you look now, the numbers are the same. The feel is the same, right? Like, it, those are all very different guys in very different situations. But the part where they were not very different is what you just mentioned. Arrange marriage, time to make a decision, team looks good around them, expectations are up, goals are up, time to go for it. And you have to at least go shopping in it. And I think I have zero doubt that they will. What the result will be, I don't know. And and what could change about that shopping list or about how they prioritize the things they need or, or him himself over these next three games, I just don't have a lot of optimism that there would be a significant change in that regard. Well, I'm sure everyone will respond rationally and patiently <laughs> to all of the things that we just said over the last half hour. Zach Jackson, always great to talk with you, my friend. Sincerely appreciate you taking the time out for us. Uh, enjoy your Christmas in chilly, chilly Lambeau Field. Yeah, yeah. Well, the way this thing's gone, the Browns will probably go 3-0, and and we'll be talking in the playoffs here in about a month. But if that doesn't happen, uh, you know, thanks, thanks for having me. Talk to you guys soon. All right, that's a wrap. Uh, thank you guys for listening to all that. Thank you for reading and, and being along all the time. Uh, I'm packing my bags. I'm headed to Green Bay. 
I will talk to you and write to you next week. Thanks for listening, as always, to Civilized Barking.